Hey everyone, Athena Dean Holtz here and welcome to the All Things Podcast, where we gather once a week to learn and share stories about how God works all things together, writing a story of good because He is faithful and good. Every Wednesday, I'll chat with a friend whom I know and respect, one of our Redemption Press authors, who will not only share a personal Romans 8:28 story, but also help to give you tips and tools for your life journey. Two episodes a month, we'll have an additional interview with a well-known author, and the other two episodes will include a time for Insider Insights, where I'll share writing and publishing questions from our listeners. However, once in a while, I'll offer bonus content, a special interview that's out of the norm for the format of our show, and today is one of those days. So let's get started. Welcome to the All Things Podcast. I am here today and so excited to introduce you to Jen Couch. She is not a Redemption Press author, but I am just so blown away with her Romans 828 story and the ministry that has just blossomed as a result. I just had to invite her onto the podcast today. So welcome to the All Things Podcast, Jen. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to give Jen a proper introduction. Jen is a new empty nester, and people ask her all the time what she's going to do in this next season of her life. And you are going to hear about that today on the All Things Podcast. Jen is passionate about making it safe for women to have a conversation about alcohol without judgment, labels, or rules. She is a retired gray area drinker. So we're gonna hear a little bit more about that later in the show. Around the middle of her 40s, she was tired, feeling stuck on autopilot and ready for a change. She didn't want to enter the big 5-0 the way she did 40. So she took a closer look at her life, her health, mental, physical, and spiritual. She began to find out ways to have more energy, better sleep, and really stay present in her own life. She began to realize that wine wasn't doing her any real favors. In fact, it was undoing a lot of her hard work during the day. In fact, she calls that detox just to retox loop. It had also become like an emotional crutch to lean on during times of anxiety or even boredom. So she started the 21-day reset for women because she wanted to share what she'd learned and experienced firsthand. Currently, over 2,000 women from all across the world have participated in this program, this 21-day reset, and it's more of a sisterhood and a real community of women pursuing being present and sober-minded. Each person has the opportunity and space to renegotiate their relationship with alcohol, and it is not a sobriety club, although many of the women do choose to enjoy an alcohol-free lifestyle. So Jen spent time taking a break from drinking without having to use willpower or feeling deprived. In fact, she would say it has turned into more of a mindful lifestyle learning the science behind what her body mind was experiencing has empowered her to make different choices. It's like she was living a somewhat divided life, constantly feeling in conflict and stuck in an internal tug of war. It sounds like the Holy Spirit to me saying, stop. <laughs> God really brought her freedom by bringing together the mind-body-spirit connection so she could live a more wholehearted life. And that's how she wants to live as she, as she gets closer to her 50s and beyond. I just love your story, Jen. And since the focus of our podcast is Romans 8.28, where it says we know that God works all things together, not for bad, but for good, for those who love him and are called according to his purposes, I would just love to have you share and unpack your Romans 8.28 story with our listeners. 
Oh my goodness, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for, for that introduction and just hearing you, you talk about my journey, um, hearing someone else articulate it for me to hear as well, just really humbles me and lets me see how much God has been working in my life all along in the struggles, in the dark times, in the times that we can't see him. He is preparing and he is working. And um, boy, I am, I am a testimony to that. And I have experienced it firsthand. Yes, you have. I really have. I'm so excited so for people to hear exciting. about it. Yeah, so I was a little bit later in life drinker. The, the whole thing that, you know, here in this second half of my life, I'm called into this conversation is really ironic because I was kind of late to the party, if you will. Hmm. I was a little bit later in life drinker. Um, I'd grown up in a Christian home with parents that didn't drink and much like um, the culture of the late 80s, early 90s, drinking was not yet as prevalent as it is really in our society today. It was obviously still very there, but it wasn't just, um, you know, at, at your local grocery store or, you know, even for young moms today at playgroups, that was not happening. And so it was pretty easy for me to choose the non-drinker route. and. Um, found myself just really kind of building my family in my 20s, and it just wasn't time to start drinking after I kind of missed that window in adolescence and college that most people drink. So there I was, just a little bit more about my, my story, is I was a young mom. I was actually in my young 30s, about 32, when, um, when I even started drinking socially. And quite honestly, I didn't really know quite what I was getting into. It just seemed like a very adult thing to do, a very grown up thing. And I was in a very high stress, high um, performing job at that time. And, um, you know, my peers just were meeting for happy hour. And so I just started just kind of going with the flow. And that's kind of how I spent my 30s, was just kind of catching up to the social norm of adults drinking on a, on a fairly regular basis. Um, for socializing, relaxing, and and I had to navigate that as um, as a married mom, a little bit older. So it was it was a little bit a little bit bumpy road at first for me. But once I caught up and kind of understood, you know, the the tricks of the trade, if you will, um, I caught right up to everybody else. But it wasn't until I turned forty that drinking for me kind of just started to change in from being a social pleasantry to something that I was really finding was alleviating some of my anxiety. Like you mentioned, some of my boredom, um, just, you know, starting to raise teenagers during that time and just the, the anxiousness that can come with that. So I kind of turned into that, you know, healthy mom by day, super mindful, drinking my green juice, you know, doing my workout, having my quiet time every morning, loving Jesus, loving the Lord. And by five o'clock, all my good intentions would just kind of fall by the wayside. And I would find myself just kind of back in that loop that you mentioned, kind of that, um, you know, detox, just a retox loop. Literally, I would have green juice for lunch and then wine in the evenings. And it felt so divided because I was not mindful in the evenings. I wanted actually to be kind of mindless, mm -hmm. which is really kind of the nature of alcohol. It's, it's not really producing mindfulness as a substance. And so um, that's where I found myself. It's just in this groundhog day of um, waking up, you know, just kind of feeling sluggish, sometimes a hangover, sometimes just anything hanging over from the night before was affecting me, but not to the point that I couldn't get back up and get my kids to school and go do my workout again and start the wheel all over again of good intentions. Um, I'm not going to drink anything tonight. And then sure enough, five o'clock would roll around, wine o'clock would roll around. It was just easy to open a bottle of wine while I was cooking. And it was easy just to have another one while I was cleaning up. And before I knew it, I was having a third one, you know, as I was winding down the night. And that was becoming more of a habit than I really wanted it to. And I felt a little bit out of control because I felt like I wanted to stop sometimes, but I also didn't want to stop sometimes. And having that mental tug of war was, was really dividing me and exhausting. Well, and when there's that anxiety going on with our kids or whatever, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, that's just 
what the enemy would like us to do is choose wine to relieve our anxiety over the Lord. Absolutely. And what's so sneaky about it is it really temporarily works. There's an element there of that numbing that, that feels so good. And it really just puts the pause on all the problems, all the fears, all the worries. It's just like hitting a pause button. But once that pause button is undone, all the problems, all the worries, all the fears are actually doubled. <laughs> Scientifically mm -hmm. speaking, they're actually made worse. Yeah. And realizing that was a huge wake up call for me. I thought I was helping myself out and I was really making things harder. Hmm. So what, so, so tell me what happened next. Yeah. So I really struggled from 40 to 45. Kind of like you mentioned that first half of my forties um, was also the years my kids were 13 to 18. <laughs> my daughter was the, in that same five years, she went through all of her preteen and high school. So I felt like we were kind of in this season of life that was just really intense. And um, that's where I felt that, that tug of war and would take breaks because, you know, I didn't feel physically addicted. I could certainly go without it. But when I did, I just felt miserable and deprived. And because this wasn't something that I was really talking about with other people, or at least other people that weren't in the same boat. It seemed like most people I talked to, most of my mom friends were kind of good, good mom friends, great Christians, were also kind of in the same boat. So it was kind of like the blind leading the blind. We really didn't know how to get out of the rut. And so really by God's grace, by his pure, pure grace alone, um, much like maybe your listeners, I heard a podcast. And it opened my eyes and my ears to a whole conversation that was starting to really take, take uh, root and take power in the conversation about this gray area drinking and healthy by day and mind, mindless sipping by night. And it really resonated with me. And that started me on a journey where I just became a learner. Instead of trying to quit drinking, which was not really my goal, it was kind of my secret longing inside, yeah. was to just not want it at all, not need it at all, just not think about it at all. But I wasn't really trying to quit altogether. I just wanted to feel more in control and more wholehearted. I was so, so tired of that divided mind. Yes. So define for us that gray area drinking term. Yeah, it's kind of a new term on the scene, which I really, really love because I think, you know, um, for so long, alcohol has been viewed as a black and white issue, all or nothing. You're either a normal drinker with no problem or you're an alcoholic and you have that label for the rest of your life and you are at the end of the spectrum. And what they've discovered is that there really is a spectrum of alcohol dependency and alcohol use. And just like many other things that have a full spectrum, drinking does as well. And so this gray area drinking zone is kind of in the middle. You know, you say you can take it or leave it. You really still can, but you end up taking it more than you're leaving it. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I would describe that gray area. And I really think that there should be more resources along the spectrum versus just at the end of the spectrum. By that point, people don't have a lot of choices um, other than, than quitting, and they, they no longer feel empowered to make that choice. It's made for them due to circumstances. And so I really like the idea that we can look at our drinking at any time for any reason and renegotiate that relationship. Mm. So this, so the gray area thing, it just as you're explaining how that works, it's almost like that's right where the enemy kind of wants us to stay because then right. we don't see how bad it really is. We just go, oh, you know, I'm like, I'm not like Joe or Jane who right. like binge drinks and then they have to go to treatment. Right. Uh, you know, so you look at that and go and judge yourself based on that and go, well, that's not me. So I'm okay. Uh -huh. And we can so easily deceive ourselves. 
You're so right, because I do think it's that middle ground that is the most hazy (laughs) and and foggy to really see what's going on. And you're right. I think we can always compare to somebody else and and feel justified and feel better about ourselves if we're not looking inward, if we're just kind of looking outward to the standard. And we've got the standard in our society of black and white, all or nothing. And so anytime we compare ourselves to the end of the spectrum, to the end of the line, we're going to be able to feel better about ourselves mm-hmm. versus looking and seeing what is really going on. Is this serving me at all? Right. Right. And I, I remember when I first um, heard you and started reading your stuff, um, I was like, whoa, she's onto something because I've been like, okay, my husband is a pastor in a denomination that doesn't think it's, you know, you're going to hell if you, have a drink of wine. Right, and, right. And so I, uh, you know, it, it got to the point where I started feeling like, wait a second, sure, I might only drink one or two or maybe that third glass, but it's mastering me. Right. And there's, I think there's a scripture about that <laughs> where we're not supposed to let anything master us except for God. Right. And that takes the conversation away from the substance itself and how much we're drinking when we're drinking and legalism. And it takes the conversation into a heart issue, which is unique for every single person. Mm -hmm. And God is speaking to us because he's jealous for us. He wants our whole heart. And like you said, you know, to be enslaved or entrapped by anything, um, takes us away from hearing his voice more clearly and leaning on him instead of, instead of any crutch of any kind. Exactly. Which is challenging not to do as a human. I mean, that's our natural tendency is to look where we can kind of (laughs) lean. But I love how God is so faithful Mm -hmm. to not allow those things to work for us long-term. I see it as his graciousness and his kindness, his loving kindness, like a shepherd would have, to actually use his rod and his staff to comfort us and guide us and not allow these counterfeits to take his spot. And I see that as just a champion of, of love yeah. that I can respond to. I can respond to his love that way versus rules. Yep. It's, it's the, his compassion and his love lead you to repentance instead of him hitting you over. You know, I mean, the, the totally. angry God that's like, you're going to burn in hell if you drink that wine. Totally. He doesn't want robots. He doesn't want uh, people that are just doing things out of fear because fear um, and love are not in the same place. And so I just think it's such a a response of um, love when he allows us to struggle and also offers the way out. And there's a scripture about that, right? There sure is. <laughs> no temptation. <laughs> there's always that way out. That's and right. And ultimately, um, I believe that when people are are seeking the Lord, you know, in the right time, in the right way, it's like when the when the student is ready, the teacher arrives. Yep. And I just don't think I was ready to look at my relationship with drinking in the way that I needed to. And really, quite honestly, you know, we talked so much about how God uses the struggle. He uses the hard things for his glory and our good. And there were times that he could have rescued me sooner in my struggle, but I don't think that I would have had the impact in the story that I have today. Exactly. And so in those dark nights of the soul, Mm -hmm. in those times where I was asking the Lord to take this thorn out of my side. I think really instead he wanted to meet me there. Meet me in it. Yep. That is so who he is. Because you know what? When you're talking to someone else who's struggling, they're going to resonate with you going through that, not you, not him meeting you on the mountaintop and like making everything perfect. Exactly. I love that. So, okay. So you listen to a podcast Yeah, and that just started me on a whole journey of reading books, more podcasts, blogs, other people in the conversation that that I could learn from. And so that's really what I did. I spent April of 2017 is kind of when I embarked on this journey. In fact, my husband and I were downtown uh, Fort Worth in my hometown, and I looked at my husband, who is kind of my drinking buddy, 
And we'd had, you know, many date nights and many activities that had kind of centered around getting drinks. And um, I looked at him and I just said, babe, I'm going to take a break for about six weeks was my goal. And I said, I'm going to take a break. I don't really know what that looks like, but I just want you to know that um, these are my intentions. And so I'm just going to be, just going to be learning. And, you know, you keep, you keep on your journey and I, I'm going to keep on mine and we'll just figure this out as we go. And that's what I did is I spent all of the rest of 2017 really walking this road of um, mindfulness and really just getting enough distance from alcohol to be able to see it more clearly in my life for how it was fitting in or if it was to fit in at all, which again, I think is unique for each person. But for me, I was able to get enough space and time away from it. So I went through my birthday, anniversary, Mother's Day, where I was given a bottle of rosé at the luncheon I went to and left it there. Um, wow. You know, so I had really big moments those first couple of months of um, definitely socially acceptable, appropriate times to celebrate with drinking, but I just wanted to, to celebrate life without it. <clears throat> excuse me, and see what that would be like. I needed to, ex to create some new experiences for myself, much like the experiences I'd had before I'd been drinking. So at that point I'd been drinking, you know, on and off for about 15 years. And so I kind of wanted to remember who I was before drinking, like who is Jen minus the alcohol, minus the thinking about it, minus it being such a part of my life. Let me find out who I am again. And so I really went on this self-discovery journey, discovering more about the Lord, more about myself, how to handle and cope with the difficulties of life without using that as a crutch and just started walking through before I knew it. Uh, and I'd had some challenges, but again, my goal wasn't just to white knuckle it and prove to myself I didn't have a drinking problem because I wasn't drinking. My goal was to really create a life that I loved enough that I didn't want to numb out from it. And, and near towards the 50 mark, you know, different than I did the 40 mark. So I had a big why, you know, we talk a lot in our tribe about having a really compelling, strong why. And so my why was stronger than a lot of those temptations and justifications and struggles. And so before I knew it, I was going through the holidays all the Christmas parties, all the um, extended family time and doing it alcohol free and just feeling um, wholehearted, that division, that divided mind, my mind was actually being renewed mm. and my brain was being renewed at the same time. So that's something I'm really excited about to bring into Christian circles is the science aspect. I feel like that's been kind of left out of the conversation. We make it so heavy on the spiritual side that we can forget the science side. And then people in, you know, science or secular community can kind of leave out the spiritual side. And so I think it's really important to holistically bring this all together. And that's what I did was just absorbed all that I could about mindset, the power of habits, neurologically speaking, what's going on in our brain and our body and in the spiritual side as well. And I just started feeling stronger and more myself. And I love that you just made the decision. I want to have a life that I love. So I don't want to numb out from it. Right. I started creating something bigger than just trying to avoid or decrease alcohol. That was not going to be enough for me. I needed to build and create and pursue something bigger and more exciting than just not drinking and rearranging my whole social life and just trying to, you know, lose a few pounds or sleep better. I wanted a bigger why. I wanted a bigger, and again, little did I know that God had a bigger why as well. <laughs> he knew it <laughs> like, all along. I had no idea in 2017 right. that he was actually forming um, a calling and a purpose yeah. Yeah. that I had no idea um, was happening until the end of that year. It was Christmas Day, December 25th, 2017. 
I looked directly at my husband and I said, oh my gosh, I made, I made it. I made it through the holidays and I'm starting a new year different than I've ever started a new year. And I've done juice cleanses and Whole30 and all these things. But I said, I'm starting 2018 with a new lease on life. And I wish more of my friends, my, my Christian friends, my, my friends that are happily married, that love the Lord, that are just killing it out there, doing an awesome job that are also struggling in this area. I wish they knew what I knew. It's just now I'm just feel like I'm sitting on all this information and it almost feels like I'm about to burst. Like, how do I let other people know? And that was the birth of, of sober sis. Wow. So did you just like invite a bunch of women to just come together and let's do this thing together. <laughs> Let me teach you what I learned. How did you do that? Yeah, it was wild. So I put together some emails that I wrote really curating the best of what I had found um, on different topics, sleep, energy, um, deprivation mindset, all of these things. I had just put my own experience in as well as just all this knowledge. And I put them in just some emails and I invited about 15 of my local friends to join a little Facebook group and read these emails for me and talk about it in this little Facebook group that I created. I had 15 people wow. and I was sending them the emails from my um, Gmail account every morning at 6am myself manually. Right. Uh, I love it. And, <laughs> It's just really funny. I didn't even start the Sobersys Instagram, which now has close to 15,000 followers. I didn't even start that Instagram until March of 2018. Wow. And that's when I started getting the message outside of my local friends and literally my neighborhood into the world at large. And that's when I realized, okay, I, now I know for sure I'm not the only one. And it was mind blowing to me how many women were resonating because I think part of the, um, part of the shame is, is this isolated, no one would really understand if they, if I do talk about drinking as a Christian mom in leadership at my church, if I talk about drinking, then I must be an alcoholic, need to go to the end of the line. And, and I was so afraid of being labeled because that wasn't where I felt like I was. And so that actually had kept me isolated and ashamed, which is mm -hmm. so sad that we get so ashamed to talk about our struggles. And then I even became ashamed at first at being a non-drinker because I didn't know what people would think of that. So my very first podcast I ever did that year was on breaking the stigma of sobriety wow. <laughs> because it, it was like the tables were turned in our culture. 87% of adults drink alcohol on a semi-regular basis. So to be a non-drinker for health purposes, for wellness, for wholehearted living um, is, is a different take on the conversation. And that's what needs to happen so that people can can look at their drinking when they want to, not because they have to. And to break that shame, that's just the enemy love. Oh, it was to just yeah, yeah, pour it on. So you will be quiet and you will yes. be silenced and you will be shamed into silence because then yep. he wins. Yep. And he did that to me. And I partnered with him really <laughs> for years, yep. just that, that, you know, I've, I've even written some emails um, on my email list that talk about, you know, how Sunday fun day was Sunday. Some of those Sunday mornings were a real walk of shame for me to walk into my home church again, where, where it's a wonderful place. You know, we say our church is um, an imperfect people that serve a perfect God. And I felt imperfect, but yet I didn't give myself a lot of grace on a, on a Sunday morning when I had to drag myself to church with a headache because I just, I just drank the night before seemingly like everyone else around me. And that was the confusing part is I thought, well, I only had, you know, two or three drinks like so-and-so, but that's, I think part of the enemy's trap is comparison. And that's true in drinking and that's true in many other ways for us as women, when we get caught in the comparison trap, you know, we know that's the thief of joy 
And it was happening to me in drinking because I thought, well, I'm drinking just like him and her and her and her, but it wasn't about that. It was, how is this working for me? Mm -hmm. And, and what is going on with the Holy Spirit in my heart? And that was very clear actually at that point. So, so tell us, because this is one of the things you were kind of, and I don't know if it was you or you um, referred to an Annie Grace um, podcast or something, but when you talked about kind of the symptoms that were just beginning to really wear you out, like waking up at three in the morning and, yeah. and those things that I just went, whoa, that's what that's from. Tell, right. just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, exactly. Um, it is kind of like, I like to say, it's like, you know, you're on a highway and this has been a great analogy that I think others have used as well, but it's like you're on a highway and you've got this, you're driving your car, you're on the drinking highway and you've got a dashboard and it's got some lights that can kind of flare up, you know, like check engine oil or, you know, we do that with our car. We kind of pop the hood and do a little maintenance. Well, I felt like I needed to do that in my relationship with drinking because I was seeing some warning lights come on. I was seeing some kind of red flags of like, I just don't think that this is, this is the way it's supposed to be. And like you mentioned, the 3 a.m. dreaded, the dreaded wake up call, um, which was kind of waking up with that, maybe sometimes a little bit of a racing heartbeat, kind of an anxious feeling. Um, come to find out there are actual chemicals that are trying to counteract that overstimulating, um, you know, use of alcohol earlier in the evening. And that's what that's coming from. And so not to get too much into science, but there was, there was a lot of things and just feeling that I was getting, you know, there's this dopamine release that happens even before we put alcohol in our bodies, our bodies are already releasing this dopamine and dopamine is actually in the survival part of our brain because there's that reward center that says, I need this. I need this. So there were some red flags to me that sometimes I was drinking when my mind, my spirit didn't even really want to, but my body wanted to. And to me, that is that slippery slope. I can see how physical addiction happens because my mind and my brain were really working against each other. They were not, not in alignment. And so it helped me to peel back the layers and look at a lot of the, the science because it helped me look at the substance differently. It's like I tell women in our tribe, you know, it's like I peel back the layers and look behind the curtain. And I and I'll think about it on the Wizard of Oz, you know, before they saw the wizard, they thought it was this big magical thing and should do all these things. And like we do with alcohol, we can think it's this magic potion that's supposed to, you know, um, whisk us away. And we are, we're on this beautiful location and the sunsets are better. And Really, when I looked at alcohol for what it was, I, I kind of made it small again, and I was able to see it more clearly. And um, that helped me make those choices that were more in alignment because it's almost like I could see what it was doing. But yeah, I, I knew I had kind of some warning signs when I was waking up at three. Um, I was having such good intentions that would just fly out the window by around three or four that afternoon. I would be, I would usually be in a grocery store scrambling around for what I was going to do for dinner that night. And I would make it through the first five to 10 points of purchase in my local like target, for example, I would make it through the first literally 10 to 15 places to buy alcohol in that store in many stores. So I'm not just singling that one out, but like many stores. And by the time I got up to the cash wrap, there it was again on the end cap. And my willpower was just worn down. Decision fatigue had set in and I would just put it in my basket and just be like, Oh, well, you know, you got me, <laughs> but I'm just going to have one. Right. And then it would start the routine loop all over again. So yeah, it was super defeating. So once I broke free from that, it was really easy to see it for what it was. Wow. And you said something about how the, just the inner division and conflict in saying, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to resist this and then giving in and, you know, having that in battle in your mind. And it just r reminded me of that scripture. What a house divided cannot stand. Right. 
Right. And, you know, imagine how much we really feel uncomfortable and hate to see conflict with other people. I don't know about you, but my personality, oh. I hate people fighting in mm -hmm. my kids, you know, if they were going at it when they were younger, it just kind of broke my heart and I hate to see conflict. Imagine what it feels like walking around with it inside. You know, here we've got our, our conscious mind or, or we could say, you know, the mind of Christ as a believer. Yeah. Yeah. And then we've got this subconscious or our flesh and they are literally at odds. But, you know, when our, when our flesh is weak, the spirit really is strong. And that's when I think God wants to say, okay, this is, this is that, that split rock moment where you get to decide who your master is because we can't serve two. Yep. Yep. Wow. So, okay. So thank you for clarifying those kind of things that are the red flags that you don't, I didn't, I had no idea the three in the morning thing was connected to wine. Right. That just blew me away. And I, I would be surprised if that wasn't something that a lot of people, a lot of women resonate right. with and, and can identify and put their finger mm -hmm. on. Mm hmm. Yep. It's big. It's big. And I, and I do see that, that that's the case for most, most people. And, um, you know, whether you're drinking one glass or three, um, of really a lot of those effects are, are still the same. Our body's just scrambling really to, to figure out what to do. So even if you moderate and just go, okay, and you don't have more than one, your body's still scrambling. There's still it. a repercussion of that because, um, because of the nature of, of, of alcohol itself. So that also helps me as I just continue down my journey mm. of choosing a, a lifestyle. Um, because I really say, much like uh, many of the people in the space that I work in, you know, I can drink what I want when I want. And so that's really given me a lot of empowerment to feel like, no, I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily counting days. Um, I don't feel like if I, if I drink, I'm going to have to start everything over because it's not about that for me. It's more about what can I learn? What can I grow? How can I grow? But it so happens that along the progress, there's just been momentum that momentum that has built up, built up. And that momentum is creating more of a desire to be, to stay in alignment. Now, when I look at drinking, I don't necessarily think what other people would say or what other people are doing. I more think for myself, would that line up with who it is I really want to be? And because I've struggled in this area of it being a stronghold in my life, do I really want to moderate something that, you know, is somewhat unpredictable because when I explain to moderation for, for people, um, and again, like you said at the very beginning of this interview, you know, sober sis is not really a sobriety group. We're really more about sober minded living. So that really creates room in the conversation for people to explore and be curious versus wearing a label, it being a real cookie cutter experience. And, you know, I think other groups do, do have that. And if that helps people better, then I think that's a great move. But ours is a little bit more about trying things on, seeing if it fits and being able to, to learn from our mistakes, talk about them openly and, and journey through. But because I've worked with so many women now who have, taken a break from alcohol, gained a lot of clarity, and then go back to moderating, what I have found is there's so many circumstances in life that are out of our control, um, whether that be uh, trauma um, or tragedy that happens, or just, you know, life has a way of kind of sneaking back in. And it just has a funny way of, you know, if, if I lived in a utopia <laughs> where I had no outside forces, you know, would I have an easier time? Well, maybe, I don't know. I think everywhere I go, there I am. So I think <laughs> Isn't that is the truth? <laughs> then it yep. is trying to control all the externals. Yeah. Um, and so for me, moderation was almost trying to, to control too many externals that sometimes I could and sometimes I couldn't. And I would be affected by that more than I wanted to. And, and I like saying- It's emotionally you know, exhausting. Oh, exhausting. Is it possible? Sure. It's exhausting. Yeah. That's wow. been my experience. Wow. 
Well, I'll tell you when I first heard about you and signed up for the 21 days at the beginning of the year of 2020, um, just, and I don't even remember how it happened, but all of a sudden it was like, God just kept bringing the scripture to mind from first Peter five, eight, where he says, be sober minded, be alert, which, okay, that's, that's fine. But if you keep going, it says your adversary, the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. So mm -hmm. it's like, what? Do, are we like inviting him to devour us when we're not sober-minded? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. wow. So really when people ask me, you know, here I am, AKA sober sis, which is really short for sober-minded yeah. sisters. And I'll say in Christ, although our group is, we have a lot of believers and a lot of Christians in our group, but I really love that our group is so open armed and so um, really wanting to be the hands and feet of Jesus, yeah. that it's not exclusionary. It's very mm -hmm. inclusive to people who are maybe, um, you know, I say there's people who are kind of sober curious and there's people who are Jesus curious and they don't even know it, but they're drawn to really the aroma of Christ in our group, which is that love, that acceptance um, without labels, without shame, without judgment, and just the ability to converse without signing your life away to a forever or always statement. Yeah, and the, auth the authenticity, that's, that's something that really impressed Pretty me. Pretty amazing that yeah. so many women can get together and cheer each other on yeah. and, and be really real. Um, which is the only way we're going to really heal is when we stay in the light and allow God to reveal who we really are and who he is. Yeah. And it's working. It it's is. Working. It is. And, uh, you yeah. know, the enemy's biggest, I mean, probably the way that he wins the most is by getting us to isolate. And you yeah. have figured, I mean, you haven't figured out a way. God just gave you that. He just he laid sure this did. on you. It's on him. It is. And he used what was a struggle in your life for good, which I love that, but he gave you this platform where people can, you know, they can come into the light and they can be vulnerable and they can, you know, be connected, which is so what the enemy doesn't want. He does not want that. There's where a great the power TED talk is. out there. Uh, and I forgot the man's name, but if you even Google TED Talk on um, the antidote to addiction, and addiction, let me define that as an addiction is any behavior we do repeatedly that has a negative consequence to us. Ooh. That's what addiction is. I recently um, really got deeper into the work of Dr. Gabor Mate, and his work is phenomenal. And he's saying that really addiction is, we think of addiction when we think of, um, again, end of the line, all or nothing addicts. Um, we do think of the, the person on the park bench. We do think of, of, of drugs, which alcohol technically is a drug. It's just well-marketed and we can get, it's another topic, but it is. And, um, and so he really talks about, you know, addiction is just simply, simply finding yourself doing something where there's a reward or a craving, but yet there are negative consequences in your life. And that's where the spectrum comes in because my negative consequences were, you know, kind of feeling sluggish at my morning yoga class, you know, kind of feeling a little bit, um, you know, lackluster energy at 3 p.m. and thinking about my sugar high, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's all relative. But that's where peeling back the layers and going, okay, instead of me comparing to everybody else, how's this working for me? Wow. Okay. So we're, we're going to kind of start to wrap this up. I, I am just, it, this is such a great conversation. And it's so, um, I mean, I want to make sure everyone that's listening knows, you know, where to find Sober Sis and, and knows what they can do to get involved or share it with someone else. But I would love for us to kind of um, wrap things up with a couple of tools or tips that you might have for our listeners on just recognizing how God might be working all things together for good, even maybe this struggle in their lives. Yeah. 
And, you know, just looking back over my own story and my own journey was just, you know, again, realizing God's character, that he wasn't trying to take me down. He was trying to lift me up, but he had to kind of tear down some things that I was building up on um, to really lift me, I think, higher to where he, he wanted me to be and where I could hear him and see him. So I think in those dark times, in those times where we're just like, oh, Lord, I can tell that this is a spiritual warfare issue is just to pause and stop and just get in that present moment. There's so much about sober-mindedness that is about just being present and dealing with reality, reality as it is, and inviting God into that, into that reality and into that space. And I think so often, you know, my relationship with drinking and alcohol was so, just, I had such a tight grip on it, yet I wanted to let it go. And I kept asking God, take it. I kept asking him to take it. And really what I've learned is he really wants us to also partner with him in, in letting go. He doesn't want to just take it from us. Mm. He really wants to partner with us in what it looks like to let that go, but grab onto him instead. So it's more of an exchange than it is a big pull away. And right. we can't just create a void and, and not allow the Lord to fill it really with him. Well, and for us to open up our hands and yeah. say, okay, I, I give. Yeah. That's and this okay. is going to be uncomfortable. Yeah. And just to, just to know that anytime we're growing and changing, it's, it's going to be uncomfortable. But isn't, isn't it uncomfortable by not changing either? Yeah. They're both uncomfortable. But this kind of un discomfort is actually going to prove produce. Yeah, yeah, it's going to produce, produce fruit. Good. It's going to refine us. It's going to make us more authentic. It's going to, I mean, yeah. it's going to shut the enemy out of. Oh, it's so powerful as you've witnessed yourself. I mean, when women step into sober mindedness, pre when I say sober minded, I mean, present, yeah. alert, aware, awake in our own lives. Oh my gosh, the enemy can't stand it. And now we're uniting as sisters in Christ. So there's power in numbers. And when one falls, the other one can lift them up. I mean, it's just incredible, incredible the amount of um, women who, who feel this way and who are banding together to say, I got your back. We're in a, we're in a bit of a war here. And the war is for our minds. Mm -hmm. The war is not against alcohol. Although, you know, that's a separate topic, but really the, the heart of it is, you know, warring for our minds, our sober minds, our families need us. The world needs us sober minded. And the enemy loves that we've been lulled to sleep in complacency. He's not even had to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> he's just grinning. Yeah. He's like, this is so easy. And now we're, a lot of us are shaking that up. Yeah. Wow. This has been an absolute delight. I would love to hear, um, you know, tell the ladies where they can find you online. Um, if you know what, sure. what their options are in getting involved. Sure. Sure. Absolutely. Um, probably the, the easiest way to find me quickly is if anyone's on Instagram, my handle on Instagram is pretty easy to remember. It's at sober sis. And I do try to post every day. I always have mocktail recipes and healthy alternatives to also, you know, show what to drink when you're not drinking alcohol, because we all want that pretty glass and that ritual um, of having something special to drink. So how do we do that in this very alcohol-centric world? So uh, my Instagram is a lot more about health, wellness, and just my walk with the Lord. And if people are wanting, women really, are wanting to download a free guide that I've put together of my top five um, tools that helped me, especially early on in those evenings, change my wine o'clock habit. I call it the happy hour survival guide. Mm -hmm. And basically, if you just even want to take a night off or a weekend or an event, and you're just wanting some tools, hey, download that free guide. And that will also put you on my email list so that I can just keep you in the loop of what I'm learning. I, I just want to really bring a lot of value to people that are following my story and in the journey. So there's just a lot of content that can kind of give you some stuff to think about. And then for those that want to just take it a step further, I do have a 21 day reset is what I call it. It's like a 21 day challenge, if you will, to not say you're never going to drink again, but just to hit the pause button, kind of pull off that highway, pop your hood 
and look at your relationship with drinking, but not alone. And instead with women who get it with actual tools. And so um, if you go to sobersys.com, you can get my free guide. If you go to sobersys.com forward slash 21 day challenge, then you can find out more about my reset. And it's currently starting at the beginning of every month. And it is powerful. I mean, not only do you provide daily content during that 21 days, but you create this, there's the Facebook group, you've got the small groups of Marco Polo where women are, you know, in small groups being able to come yeah. together and, and just walk the journey together. It's brilliant. It really it's is. It's really built powerful. on connection. Yep. It really is because... I find that the tools are helpful, but if we're trying to, you know, we just can't, we can't do things without relationship and community. I think God designed us for that. So when we're walking through life together with other people, everything just comes to life and we can help each other. So it's very connection, very relationship based, but also very safe and very um, private too for women, because, you know, this is, this is an area where you kind of got to know that you're walking into trusted territory. Exactly. Exactly. And you've done a great job creating that space for women to come together and go, you know, I, I don't think this is good anymore. I, I'm, yeah. I'm questioning this and I need some help. Yeah. I'll, I really created what I wished I could have found. Yeah. It's really, you know, how it, how it came about is this is exactly what I wished I could have found earlier on. And I'm just so Oh, again, just delighted and humbled that God would, would use me and so many others now partnering with me to create this environment, this atmosphere. And it's just such a perfect example of God bringing good out of something that was dark in your life and, and how many other people it's, it's encouraging and blessing and helping them um, along the way, which just, ah, just makes my heart happy. So, I love it. I yeah. love it. So thank you so much for being with us today. It has just been an absolute delight. I totally enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you bet. So thanks for joining us today for the All Things Podcast, brought to you by Redemption Press and the Romans 828 Bookstore. So hey, I'd like to ask you a favor. If you would consider sharing this episode with your friends on social media, of course, only if you thought it was helpful, or if you haven't yet left a review of the podcast on Apple, I would really appreciate it as, you know, it'll help other people find the show and let them know it really is a good one to listen to. So thank you so much for listening today, and I'll see you next week.